Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. We're going back into our series on the solas. Um, we were talking about how these categories of the solas are ways that we preserve the integrity of the gospel. So if we don't have these categories like God saves us for his glory alone, by his grace alone, in Christ alone, apart from us, only through faith, not through faith in our works, we lose the gospel. So these categories that are biblical are very important. But we could get God's glory alone for my salvation by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, and we still have one place where we could fall off the track. And that place is Scripture and Scripture alone. See, the problem is, is that when we don't see the way we're saved and how we relate to God only through Scripture, and we say Scripture and something else, we lose Christ alone. When it becomes Scripture, the Word of God, and man's words and opinions, we lose Christ alone, we lose faith alone, we lose grace alone, and we lose glory alone. And I think this is the track that really gets us off every other track. And so it's, it's not enough just for us to say we're saved by God's grace. What is grace? That's where we've got to go to Scripture alone. You say, I, my salvation is only in Christ. Who is Christ and what did he do? That's where we got to go through Scripture alone. It's like, I'm saved by faith. What is faith? Because there's a thousand definitions of faith. That's where we got to go through Scripture alone. So I'm not just going to say that what's important for us to preserve the integrity of the gospel. Oh, man, i got to do my timer. I'll do my timer like, I do. It keeps me, if I, if I didn't have a timer, I would preach for an hour and ten minutes like any, different, any given Sunday. So y'all don't know. Just because it's long doesn't mean it couldn't be longer. All right. All right, started. Uh, I'm not just going to say Scripture alone is so important, but I'm going to say why Scripture alone by having two main ideas. I'm going to say Scripture alone in how it does what it does. Scripture alone in how it does what it does. And Scripture alone in what it does. So how Scripture functions and what it does when it functions. That's how I'm going to unpack these. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, We can only understand your words if your Holy Spirit gives us the capacity that we don't have to trust your words. So does it matter how much I prepare? doesn't matter how much I illustrate. doesn't matter how rightly I communicate. You, Holy Spirit, must give us the capacity that we don't have to see your word as your word and to trust it as your word and receive it as your word. So, Holy Spirit, I entrust this entire moment to you and say, please give us eyes to see your truth. In your name, amen. So firstly, how does Scripture alone do what it does alone? Firstly, it alone reveals. It alone reveals. Let me go to Luke 24 to illustrate this. And I should have marked this, but I didn't. Great. So Luke 24, Jesus is, he's died, he resurrected, and he's hanging out 
with his disciples secretly. And this is really annoying. All right. He's hanging out with his disciples secretly, and I'm going to read a text in this that may help us. So they were discussing among themselves, it says in verse 14, that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. So this is the resurrected Lord. But they were prevented from recognizing him. So check this out. Jesus physically is around his disciples, and he supernaturally doesn't enable them to recognize him. Then he asked them, what's been going, what's the dispute that you're having? You guys are arguing what's going on. So they explain, and they say, basically, we thought Jesus was the Christ, but he died. And by the way, someone said that he was raised, and he's not in the grave anymore, which is the gospel. But they weren't understanding it. And so in verse 25, he says, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Listen to this, verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So check this out. Jesus is physically present, and they're not allowed to see him physically present. And the way he reveals himself to them is by going to the text. Wouldn't you think it would make more sense for him to allow them to see him there instead of going to the text? But Jesus is giving us a principle that is just true for all times. It's that Christ, God, is only revealed in this book, savingly, ultimately, finally. Nowhere else. Kind of like my wife. Uh, if you want to find her, you're not going to look for her in the backyard. If you want to find Rebecca, you're not going to find her in the driveway. You will find her in the living room or a bedroom reorganizing. That is where she is. So check this out. We can't find Jesus in Hollywood. We can't find Jesus in the culture and what the culture thinks and what the culture values. You're not going to even find Jesus how necessarily you were raised in church because you may have been raised in church wrong, right? May or may not. You're not going to find Jesus in your family traditions. You're not going to find Jesus. Um, you know, someone told me, like, I just, I just have Jesus in my heart. You're not going to find him in your heart, beloved. You're not going to find him in your experiences. You're going to find him in these words that he wrote about himself. I would even say you're not going to find him in some ecstatic experience where you fall on the ground and speak language you don't understand and see things you don't even understand. You're not going to find him there. Jesus is saying, you're going to find me in the words about me. And I think, man, isn't it, isn't, don't we always talk now like, man, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm finding Jesus. I'm searching for Jesus. Where are you, Jesus? And he's like, I'm here. Stop looking for me in all these random places. I was talking to a young pastor who was, uh, I don't think he's here anymore in Homestead. But, but he went to Virginia to the woods to go find Jesus. And he says, I'm, I'm going to go to the woods in Virginia to find Jesus. I'm like, you went all the way to Virginia to look for Jesus. He's in the book, homie. There's the end. He's revealed in these words. No need to go on these secret journeys and weird things and all that. He's in the scriptures. He's revealed only in the scriptures. And when we see him in the scriptures, then we can see him in creation and, and experience and, and whatnot. So 
it, Scripture alone reveals, but it all, also I want to say something about it. It alone reveals in the hearing, not the seeing. It alone reveals in the hearing, not the seeing. Let me read Deuteronomy for you, some Old Testament for you. Deuteronomy 4.12. Then the Lord spoke to you from the fire. Listen, you kept hearing the sound of his words, but you didn't see a form. There was only a voice. He declared his covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which he wrote on two stone tablets. At that time, the Lord commanded me to teach you statutes and ordinances for you to follow in the land you were to cross and possess. For your own good, be extremely careful, because you did not see any form. On that day, the Lord spoke to you at the fire of Horeb. Do not act corruptly and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of any figure. And so here's, during the time of the Reformation, this is what worship looked like in Roman Catholicism at that time. There was no preaching. It was just fancy outfits and images and statues and incantations, and, and there was no preaching whatsoever. It was just a visible show, a visible thing, and smoke, and incense, and all this stuff. And the Reformers were saying, listen, God reveals himself not through our visible shows, but he reveals himself through his preaching of his word that we hear. And I think in our day, this is very, very relevant because we think, and listen, listen, listen to me very carefully. Please listen to me very carefully. There's nothing wrong with anything I'm about to say. But the mentality behind it is wrong. So, for example, we think that God's going to be made visible to us by having a show here, a concert here, and smoke here, and lights here, and all this stuff, Right? That's how we think. Or we think God's going to come here visibly by the pastor having, you know, some amazing outfit and kind of lofty, like, visible persona. Like, we think that's how we're going to encounter God. Or, or we think, you know, we're going to encounter God by seeing a bunch of people fall on the ground and all these weird physical manifestations. Or, or, or we're going to find God by fancy buildings and you know, or or how about this? You know, we're gonna find God by by having American flags all in the all in the building and the visibility of American power, or or, or we're gonna find God by having a you know a, a altar call where all these people walk up and they raise their hands. And, and 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 what God is saying, beloved, is that you don't come to encounter me through making the church a show about what you look like and what your church is. We come here to be summoned to encounter God by hearing words about God spoken to our ears, and what we see doesn't ultimately matter. Because you know what? The second we are looking for something to see as opposed to something to hear, we see ourselves. And we don't need to see ourselves. What we need is for God to speak a message that goes to our ears and not make some show about us. He is a revealed in the hearing, not the seeing. Though we, does that make sense when I say there's nothing wrong with those things? But when these become the reasons we think that we're going to bring God's presence to people, it becomes wrong. Does that make sense? So it, God's, and what it does, and it alone reveals, it reveals in the hearing, not the seeing. But thirdly, it alone stands. It alone stands. Verse uh, 
1 Peter 1.20 says this. First of all, you should know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. You never got anything in this book that was a man's idea. That's what Peter's saying. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So what Peter is saying is that there's one place where God perfectly speaks to his people. It's in this book. And then 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is inspired by God. And so this is very important because in the time of the Reformation, and it's the same now, the, a lot of the, the, the religious thinking was they, 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 would, they would take human philosophy and human ideas, and they would say God speaks there, and he speaks in the Bible, and it's kind of like, you know, he speaks everywhere, and so let's just incorporate God speaking everywhere. And so and you kind of hear this terminology like this, all truth is God's truth. Well, in a sense, that's true. In a sense, it's not true. God only speaks about salvation and his character in this book. So you can't find God's word in science. You can't find God's infallible word in, you know, human institutions of education. You can't find it in human intellect and reasoning. You can't find it in, I would say, uh, in, in psychology, philosophy, the arts, and in and, and, and other religions or just generally religious writings, there's only one place where God's perfect word speaks, and that is in the text of Scripture. Amen. That's it. And I think, you know, I think as a young believer, like, let me give an, 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 an example of something that happened to me. As a young believer, I got saved, and uh, I, I read a lot of religious writings before I got saved. And so I had, like, these, like, Mormon writings, and I had, like, these Buddhist writings. And so I get saved, and what I would do is I would read books, I would highlight the books, and then I would type out my highlights. So when I, I got saved, I said, all right, now I'm going to keep learning about God from, you know, other religions and other religious books and the Bible. I kept those. And every one day I was typing and, like, Everything I wrote about this, like, other religious book, it just disappeared. Like, I typed this for, like, hours, and it just disappeared. And I felt, because of God's word, not because of how I felt, that God was saying, do not think that anything except what I say here is what I say to humanity, because I speak here uniquely. Enough with all this. All You know, it's kind of, <laughs> it reminds me of... Uh, have you, ever, have you ever been in a, in a situation where you're trying to listen to, like, all these voices and you can't hear anybody? That's kind of how it is when you try to hear all these voices and you don't listen to just the voice as a unique voice. So it alone stands, but also it alone speaks. It alone speaks. Look, listen to Matthew 15, 7. Hypocrites, says Jesus. You know, he's not the weak, wimpy Jesus of culture, is he? Hypocrites! Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. So he's saying, You guys have the teachings of the Pope and the teachings of the church and the teachings of this guy and the Word of God, and by doing that, you invalidate God's Word by placing it next to traditions. 
God's word has the only capacity to speak, and all other voices must be quiet. It's not that we don't listen to them. It's just they don't have the ability to speak to us the way the word of God speaks. And, you know, again, when, when everyone's talking all at once, we can't hear anybody. When God's word is talking, and then man's word is talking, and then Oprah's word is talking, and then my word is talking, like, I don't know what's going on. It's like, does everyone be quiet? God's word speaks by itself. Because when everybody's talking, we can't hear. And, beloved, the reason why, listen, listen. Do you know why when we gather here on Sundays, we don't do plays? We don't do plays for you. It's because God's word speaks here by itself. The reason why I don't get up here and tell you jokes, you can use jokes to to preach the word, but the reason I don't get up here and tell you jokes and tell you about my life experiences and my kids, why? Because the only person who has a right to speak here is this person who wrote this book. You don't need to hear about me and my experiences and my jokes. The reason why I don't take topics from the world and then just use the scriptures to talk about a topic I want to is because God is the only person who sets the topic for us. The reason I would say that I would not even begin with the word and then use a word to speak about what I want to speak about is because what I want to speak don't matter. You don't need to hear me here. The only person you need to hear is a person who wrote this book. And so God alone has a right to speak to his people. No one else has a right to speak. Everyone else must be silent. This book is the only way we speak. Scripture alone. It alone speaks. And you know what? It's kind of like my three-year-old at the table, man. She's, she's gangster. Everyone's talking and... And she's just like, no one talks but me. That's, that's God, beloved. All y'all talking, 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 talking. No, I'm the only one who speaks in this house. Scripture alone. And you know what? Let me, I want to go into another topic that in, this, in light of this topic. It's a bit controversial. But whatever. We deal with whatever we have to deal with in this church, don't we? For better or for worse. Why don't, why don't I get up in front of you and say, thus says the Lord? Why don't I have people get up in here and say, hey, God told me this? You ever thought about that question in this church? Let me read a few passages and tell you why I don't come up here and tell you what I think God told me. I just tell you what I know God said. Uh, Deuteronomy 18.18. Go into the Old Testament because Old Testament is gangster. It just says it how it is. It don't matter. New Testament to you, but, you know, I don't know. I'm a little... Anyway, I will raise up a prophet among you like your brothers. That's talking about Christ. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in his name. So Jesus is a prophet that he's talking about. But the prophet who dares speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. How can we mechanize a message the word the Lord has not spoken. This is how you know if a true prophet is a prophet. When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true, it's not fulfilled, that is not a message the Lord has spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So basically, God is saying the only a true prophet is the one who speaks perfectly all the time. If he's not, if he says he's, he's got a word from God and he's wrong, you should kill him. That's what, that's what, that's what Jeremiah, Deuteronomy is saying. 
So all these guys in these churches that are always talking about God told me this, and I think God told me that, listen, 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 that's fine, but you do not dare tell people that God is speaking to them by what you think God told you. If you're wrong, in the Old Testament, we would take you outside and kill you. So how do you know for sure that God has spoken? Here. If you ain't for sure, then don't you dare open your mouth and say, thus says the Lord. Because there's only a way we can say, thus says the Lord, and that is because he has spoken perfectly in the prophets that we know. Now, are you saying God doesn't talk to people? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you better not put that stuff on somebody else unless you're 100% sure. Let me, let me read another text about this stuff. Yeah. More, more, more uh, gangster texts. Let, let me go to Jeremiah 23. Listen to Jeremiah. Did I not mark this too? Man. I guess I should be able to go to anything in the Bible really fast, right? I am a, I am a pastor. I am a pastor in the church, and I went to seminary. I went to cemetery. All right. Jeremiah 26. This is annoying. Sorry, guys. Jeremiah 26. 23, sorry. Turning, turning, 23, verse 25. Listen, I have heard what the prophets who prophesy lie in my name have said. I have a dream. I had a dream. Does that sound familiar to you? I'm about to say, shut about your dreams. But really, that's how it is. How long will this continue in your minds of the prophets prophesying lies? Prophets of the seed of their own minds, through their dreams that they tell one another, they cause my people to forget my name, as the fathers forgot my name through bow worship. The prophet who has a dream should recount the dream, but only the one who has my word should speak my word truthfully. So what is straw compared to grain? This is the Lord's declaration. Is not my word like fire? Woo! This is the Lord's declaration. And like a hammer that pulverizes rock. Therefore, take note. I am against the prophets, the Lord's declaration, who steal my words from each other. I am against the prophets, the Lord's declarations, who use their own tongues to make a declaration. I am against those who prophesy false dreams, the Lord's declaration, telling them and leading my people astray with their falsehood and their boasting. It was not I who sent or commanded them. They are of no benefit to these people. So why do we not speak, thus says the Lord, and I think God told me this, because we can only speak what God has surely spoken to you. I have no right to tell you what I think God may have told me if I'm not sure. And you say, well, I am sure. Well, listen to what, listen, listen, listen what 2 Timothy 4.1 says. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead because of his appearing in kingdom, Proclaim the message. Paul's about to die. What is he telling Timothy? Proclaim the message. Persist in it whether convenient or not. And so, beloved, God is the only one who has a right to speak here. Therefore, no one has a right to tell 
God's people to listen to God because they think of some maybe possibly subjective thing. God alone has a right to speak here. And if I'm preaching this text in a way which you think is not consistent with this text, I have no right to speak that to you. You have to biblically, in a godly way, approach me and say, that's not God's word. And if you can't show me, then, then you know. But you, don't, you understand what I'm saying? No one has a right to speak here God's word if it's not God's word. And so when all these wackos in Miami want to tell you God told me this and God told me that, you say, you know what, man? If it was in the Old Testament, we had to take you outside and beat you down and kill you, homie. So you better not bring that stuff in my mind because God says it leads me astray from God. I don't want to hear it. You say, man, why, why do you speak so, why, why, do you, why are you so dramatic? Do you know how many people in this city are being led astray by this crap? How many genuine believers who love Christ and have been saved by them, they're around these lying, false prophets making up nothing, and they're just, it just, it hurts me. It hurts me to see that God has spoken perfectly in his gospel word, and we have all these little sheep who are being devoured by the opinions and dreams of men. And it should burden you too. This is not just, oh, you know, let's just be the mean church, who, you know, the, the critical church. This is, man, God has spoken to us. He's spoken to us in this text, and we need to hear it. Not be distracted by all these ridiculous fantasies and dreams and whatever about whatever. Half the time, it's not having to do with it. It's like, oh, I believe that God's going to give you a house, and I believe that God's going to give you a baby, and I believe that God's going to give you money. No, thank you. I need something much more than that. So, good grief. That point was like way too long. All right. It, it, <laughs> all right, next point. It alone speaks apart from us. It speaks apart from us. Romans 3.1. So what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the spoken words of God. What then? If some did not believe... Will their unbelief cancel God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. God must be true, though every man is a liar. So he's saying, hey, man, if all those people reject it, does that take away from the God's truth? He's saying, no, it doesn't. God will be true, though every man is false. So the same way, the sun would still be the sun if everyone was blind, correct? So here's a, here's a problem. In, in, in the Reformation, the time of the Reformation, uh, the Roman Catholic Church was saying, we say what the scriptures are. So the scriptures are not the scriptures by themselves. The scriptures are scriptures based upon what we say they are. So it's almost like the word of God is not the word of God until I then receive it for myself in my own way. Does that make sense? As opposed to like the word of God is the word of God whether I think it's the word of God or not. Like if I would never like to believe anything about this or even encounter it, it would still be God's word. Does that make sense? So let me give you an example of what this looks like. Um, Isaiah... Isaiah 40, uh, I did it again. Gosh. Isaiah 43, first two verses. I want to give you an example of this. Listen to me. All right. 
Now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I will redeem you. I will call you by your name. Listen, verse 2, I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched. They will walk through the fire. So, so, so I read that and I say, mm, you know what that means? That means that I'm not going to lose my job this week. I will not be scorched by the fire. That means that, you know what? I'm going to get that woman that I've been praying for. You know, I, I'm not going to, you know, what, what am I doing in that moment? I'm saying that this doesn't mean anything by itself. It just means something when I come to it and make it whatever I want it to mean. But beloved, this text means something before you were ever born and after you will ever be alive. It means something in itself, by itself. It doesn't become something because I give it some sort of credibility or I give it some sort of idea. It means what it means by itself. You follow me? And you know what? This is the most encouraging thing. Because it means that these wonderful things that God says do not depend on me and my experience. So when God says, I came into the world to save sinners, that's true whether I want to receive it or whether I'm happy about it or whether I think it's realistic or not. Because when God speaks, it is apart from us. So you're like, man, I don't think that God could really forgive sinners like me. And God says, it doesn't matter. I said it. Because I said it. And whether you, whether you can wrap your mind around it, it's true. Because God's word is God's word, not because of us making it so, but because he spoke it. And it so is. And so in that way, it stands it speaks apart from us, and as it speaks apart from us, it speaks to us. So I got one more point, and that is it alone rules. One more point in my idea, how it does what it does. It alone rules. First, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, training in righteousness, so the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Here's a problem, is in the time of the Reformation, people were saying that we're not under the authority of God's word. We're under the authority of popes and councils and, and decrees and opinions. And the reformers came in and said, no, 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 the only authority that governs the church is the word of God. And beloved, this, you know what that means? That means your experience is not authoritative. People say, well, like, I experienced this, and therefore, because I experienced this, it's authoritative. No, it's not. Your experiences are under the authority of God's word. People say, well, you know what? Here's what I hear a lot of times with Christians. Well, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. What makes sense to you does not make, that's not your authority. We walk around like, does that make sense to me? No. What is authoritative is God's word, not what makes sense to you. Or you think, you know, like, well... This is kind of like, uh, this feels good to me. I want this. You know, like people like, if it feels good, then it's true. No, it's not. Well, this is what the culture believes. So what? You're not under the authority of the culture. You're under the authority of God's word over the culture. Or you say like, you know, like it just works. It works and therefore it's authoritative. No, it's not. A lot of things that work are not 
of God. So there's only one authority, beloved. And I would say this, listen, I don't have any authority over you that the word of God has not given me. You have no authority over one another that the word of God has not given you. Husbands, you have no authority over your wife. You know how we walk around like, you under my authority. No, she's not. You have authority over her as you're under God's word's authority, but you have no authority. We have no authority over our kids. You know, oh, I'm your parent. So, you know, that's what, no. We have authority over our kids in light of being under the authority of God's authoritative word. We walk around like, you know, well, I'm the pastor, so listen to me. No, no, no. Oh, I'm your mom, so listen to me. I'm your dad. Oh, I'm, no. God's word stands above every Christian person. And we have authority, we use authority in light of the fact that we're under God's word of authority. And I'm going to go on another trail. Can I go on another trail? I made this two sermons because I knew it was going to be like, like, like really long. So I, maybe the first one will still be long. Beloved, when it comes to obedience to God, we can only bind people's consciences in light of what God has said. You know what that means? That means that we can't give our preferences about things that are not explicitly biblical and say you must obey this to be obedient to God. You want me to get in your kitchen now? <laughs> Bro, you know how like Christians make you feel like if you're a Christian, you have, to, you have to celebrate Christmas? God's word is not tell you to celebrate Christmas. So if you don't want to celebrate Christmas, you can't do that to me. And if we bind Christmas on Christians, we are binding people's conscience to our authority, not God's authority. Or the people say, I, I don't celebrate Christmas, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Look, if I want to put a tree in my house and give gifts, God's freedom lets me do that. You can't bind my conscience. Or what about this? You know, like in churches, like a lot of times, like, oh, you can't wear spaghetti drafts, and you have to, it has to be below the knee. Says who? Says you. And when you say that that is a measure of God-centered godliness, you bind people under your authority, and you claim it to be God's. But God's saying, you can't do that. What about, you know, how you raise your kids? You know, like, I was, I was talking to uh, Tanya. She's always hiding. I don't know. She's, she's hiding during service. It's like, in churches, churches, you know, churches split because of homeschooling or not? You cannot tell someone that they need to raise their kids this way as being some sort of measure of godliness if God has not said that. Let me say something else. What about smoking? Where does Scripture say don't smoke? Oh, your body is a temple. What's the concept of that verse? Sexual purity, not hygiene and habits. You know, if you want to take that verse to be that, then don't go to McDonald's. Don't have ice cream because your body is a temple. Smoking, drinking. We make up all these little laws that are not God's laws because we can't keep God's laws. So what we do is make up little laws that we can keep and say, aren't we great? And God's like, I don't care about your made-up laws. And you don't have a right to bind people. You know, it's like, it's, it's like the thing is like, man, like you're a pastor and you're wearing a tie. You're not reverent. Really? Where does God say you must dress a certain way? He's like, he's like, <laughs> a man over there is amening it. No, you say that. You say Christians got to dress that way. Does God say that? No. So 
When we say we're under God's authority, we're saying that when God does not speak about this being what is obedience, you do not speak. You say, I dress this way because I want to. I don't want to be hot. Beloved, this is very important, and I could have a whole sermon on conscience being dictated by the word of God, because the thing is, the Roman Catholic Church want to tell you how to do everything. They want to tell you how to do, they had like a thousand rules, and, and the reformers said, God's word alone gives us his authority. You know, it's, it's just how it is. So this is how it does what it does. Second point, what does it do? What does it, hold on, let me, let me go back. I got, I got one more point. You know, Scripture doesn't tell you what political party to be a part of. There is no Scripture that says you must be Republican and be a Christian. Where is that text? Let me pick on Democrats. There is no Scripture that says I got to be a, a social liberal either. But we think that way in the church, Right? I won't go to church where those, where those liberals are or those people that voted for Hillary. I won't go to church where all those Trump voters are. What church is that? That's a church of you, sponsored by you, made by you. Now, is there biblical reasons to consent to political authority? Yes. But to say that a political party is mandated by God is a lie. You know what, man, I can say that here, but if I said it somewhere else, man, I, I, they, would like, they would drag me off the stage and kill me. She'd be like, I, I box, man. <laughs> but oh, it's real. That is not mandated by God. So I hope we could be a church where people voted for Trump and people voted for Hillary and we could love each other. If not, then we've lost the gospel. Because we have all these man-made traditions and authorities that are invented by our self-righteous desire to make up our small rules to be great that don't exist before God. Yeah, you know, it's, all right. I went back and I didn't go to my second point. All right, second main point. It does what it does and what it does and what the word of God does. So if you voted for Trump, I love you. If you voted for Hillary, I love you. Who's the other guy that, that was the third party? I, yeah, whatever. It alone exposes. It alone exposes. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and affected and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul, spirit, joints, marrow. It's able, man, God's word is like deep, man. Like It's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, like the mirror, let me illustrate this point. You know the mirror when you wake up in the morning and, like, it's really bright? And, like, y'all ladies are like, ah! Dang! I'm busted today, you know? And then you have the other mirrors, like the, 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 slot, the, the, the bedroom. What is that called? The, the closet mirror. Or the sliding glass door. And you're like, oh, I look good, you know? I look good in that. Or, or, or the selfie mirror where, like... You, I, I see y'all women, like, have, a, I think it's like a professional job of how to angle a picture for you to look the best you can. 
Like, y'all, like, you guys, like, is there, is there like, a website, like, do this and, and do it like this and this light? Like, like, we have these ways of being and reflections of things that make us look better. And so what, what are the lesser reflections that we have in the church rather than the word of God which exposes us? You know, we have, like, we, we have our fantasy stories, mirrors. Get the mirror, like I have these, all these fantasy stories that don't even exist, but this is how I look at myself in my fantasy story. Don't we have those? Or we have the, the besties and, and our best friends. We surround ourselves with our best friends who just only say nice things about us. That's my mirror. Or we just avoid people. And because I avoid people, or, or we have Opinions 316. I put myself before the mirror of Opinions 316 and I feel good. Or we have, you know, our own ideas of law. Or how about this, the guilt mirror. I'm going to put myself before the motivation of guilt, and that's going to move me to do everything. But, beloved, what God is saying is that the only thing that has the power to go deep down in your soul and expose you to what is really there so you can really trust in the Christ who's really there where you really are is the word of God. Beloved, the word of God is not coming here to commend you. He he was saying the word of God is coming to destroy you and expose you and rebuild you in Christ. But we want want the word of God to be a remodel. Hey, come to my house and do some remodeling. You know, the word of God, come over here with, you know, your kind of mixtures of this and that and just remodel the house. No, the word of God is coming with a bulldozer to destroy your house entirely because it's condemned entirely and to build you up anew in Christ. And beloved, that's the only thing that does. Listen, listen, you making your wife and your husband feel like crap because they're not good is not going to do anything. You know what really convicts and exposes and transforms? It's when you meet your spouse with the word of God that pierces and divides the soul so that the soul can be exposed before the Christ who loves and covers don't we, don't, we, don't we think that we're the sword and all our little tacks are the sword? Well, beloved, Scripture is the only thing that truly exposes us. Otherwise, everything else is Band-Aids. You know, band, you know when, you, when, you, when you get your, your kids and your friends to do things because they make, you make them feel guilty and you say, I'm, I'm important, you know, that's like just Band-Aid stuff. But only the Word of God goes deep and exposes and actually deals with the issue. So the word of God alone exposes, it alone judges. It alone judges. 1 Corinthians 14.37 says this. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And they were a pretty live bunch of people, right? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual. So you're saying you guys are spiritual, right? Very spiritual. He should recognize this, that what I write to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So you want to worship God however you think you want to worship God? You're not valid. That's Paul's, that's me summarizing it. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and don't forget, forbid speaking in other languages, but everything must be done decently and in order. Let me give you a picture that may help. You know how like when your kids get into scuffles or you see kids get into scuffles and then they come to you and they tell you like what happened and it's like six different stories. It's like, well, this is what happened. You know, actually, like, I was just walking, and I, I just put my foot like that, and she just happened to just fall over it, you know? And you have to be the person from the outside looking down at them and say, I saw it. This is what happened. And, beloved, one of the problems is 
that we tend to be like the kids who make evaluations from the ground about the Word of God as opposed to the Word of God from above us judging us. So here's how we think. I think it's, I judge that it's good because it worked. I remember one time I was talking to like a, a lady I care about, about a pastor she liked. Um, and it, it, look, on the spectrum of like, you know, sound pastors and bad pastors, it was like over here, you know. And she's like, well, look how, look, how big the, look how big their ministry is. I'm like, that's the judge? The, the size? The success? No. No, the word of God is the judge of that situation. Or here's another one. Does it make people feel good or excited or, or feel, you know, like I, don't, I, went to, I went to the service and I knew God was there because I just felt good. Ecstasy feels good. Does that mean it's good? Smoking crack, smoking heroin feels good. Is it good because it feels good? No. And we think that way. Or, or we think, you know, my wife liked it. Oh, well, I guess that solves it. Now, what does God's word and judgment tell you about the situation? Or you say, my kids really liked it. I'm going to this church because my kids like your kids liked it? That's the judgment. What does God's infallible word judge about the situation that your kids like? I'm not saying you should bring your kids to a place. Only if, you know, if they hate it or whatnot. Or, you know. or, or, or how about like, you know, like, here's a few more. Um, I don't know. It's just... It's just relevant. It's so relevant, you know, relevant. But, but you know what relevant means? It's basically the world with Jesus sprinkled on it. But what does God's word say about it? Because, beloved, we don't judge God's word, it judges us. We don't interpret God's word, it interprets us. We don't validate God's word, it validates us. You understand what I'm saying? It is the judge. We don't determine God's word. God's word determines us. And so let me give you an example of a bird's eye judgment of God. Uh, you know, so someone was like, you know, like, like my, my wife was just really just being disrespectful to me. And so I got really mad and I raised my voice and I knocked something over. And then like the whole week, like she was just very helpful around the house. And it worked. But when you take a step out of that, and God's judgment speaks in that situation. What does God say about that? It worked for you, but it's sin. We must always seek to be judged by God's word as opposed to us seeking to judge God's word by our own measure of judgment. Make sense? So it alone judges. That's what it does. So first what it does, it alone exposes. It alone judges. Thirdly, it alone declares. It alone declares. I'm getting, oh, Okay. This might not be a two-hour sermon. Listen, Genesis 1-6, God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the above expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, morning the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and the dry land appear, and it was so. So listen, God's word is the only word that can truly declare what is in a situation, as opposed to our declaration. So let me let me unpack this for you guys. You say, "Oh, no one loves me." You declare that, right? And you live by that, don't you? 
kill all the time, no one, no one loves me, no one cares about me. I declare this, and so it is. Let, let, let me bring that to the text. God says in Romans 8, verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, and all these things are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height, depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Declaration truth. You may say, you know what? I don't feel worthy. I have made the declaration that I don't feel worthy. Sorry. God's word says, but to the one who does not work, Romans 4, 4, but believes on him who declares thee ungodly to be righteous, his faith is counted for righteousness. Or Romans 5, 6 says, God proves his own love to us in that while we were yet becoming more worthy and better, no, no, is that what, that's not what the text says. That's what we say. God proves his own love in that while we're making ourselves more lovable, no, God's word declares that he loved us while we were sinners. That declaration cancels out yours. Or you say, here, here's the other declarations that we make. Oh, you know, uh, I am just the same person that I used to be. You know how I acted this week, man. I relapsed or, you know, I, I, I looked at that thing I shouldn't have looked. And I just continue to be the same grumpy, you know, just grumpy husband. You're like, I'm just the same person I want to be. I always have been. And God's word says, knowing this, Romans 6, that our old self was crucified with him. So that sin's dominion over the body would be abolished so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You're not the same person you used to be. You are who God's emphatic, authoritative word has declared you to be. You're not a slave to sin, though you still fall in it. You're not who you always used to be. Why? Why? Because God's declarations is what is true. It is what is true. God alone gets the right to declare. Or you may say, you know what? I'll say a few more things. I don't feel blessed. You know, I don't feel blessed. You know, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not wealthy like that person is. I don't, I, don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a very interesting personality like that person has. And, you know, I don't have kids. Or, like, I, I don't feel blessed. And, and you, you made the declaration. And I guess God's like, oh, okay. Are you done making your declarations? Are you ready for mine? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Who's that for? For any Christian in Christ. You are blessed. God deprives you no blessing because you have his perfect blood that covers all your sins. You have his perfect obedience that covers all of your lack of obedience. You have his resurrection. You have adoption. You have a new name, new life, a new destiny. You are fully blessed because God's word says it, not because you declare whatever you think you are or not. God's declarations are the only thing that matters, beloved. Or you say, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't see how this could be good. I get that a lot as a pastor. Like, man, how could this ever be good? God's word said, we know that God works all 
things together for good. And so, beloved, let me encourage you. God's word is realer than reality. You know that? What God says is the realest thing about your reality, not what you see and what you declare. So it alone declares. I got three more. It alone provides. It alone provides. All scripture, I'm going to change the verse to, to be funny. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be uh, somewhat complete and somewhat equipped for some good works. Did I just miss the text? Let me read it again. So the man of God can be partially complete and sometimes equipped for some good works. Did I get it right that time? Three times. Three times a charm. So the man of God and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Did I get it right that time? You sure? Let me give you the illustration that may help. You know, like, you know, like the kid who says, I, I rely on my dad for everything. Dad is a reliable guy. He's a guy I always turn to. But then whenever situations go down, he always asks mom. You know who that is, beloved? That's us. That's us. You know, like when it, when it comes to anxiety and depression, you know, I say that God's word is enough, but I'm going to turn to numbing myself or, I, you know, I'm going to turn to, I don't know, something I can think of. When, when, when marriage gets hard, I know that God's word is sufficient, but when marriage gets hard, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to distance myself. I'm going to get divorced or I'm just going to like, you know, strangle a person until they bow to my submission. Say, so God is enough for me, but when I, you know, feel depressed, I'm just going to go do something important to make myself feel better. And, you know, God's word is enough for me. But when it comes to parenting, I'm just going to just parent like everybody else in the world that doesn't know God's word. Beloved, God's word is not just sufficient for us to say that it's sufficient. But do you realize that every single thing in your life, every single situation, every crevice, God's infallible gospel word is the solution. Let me read another text for you that may help. And I think I actually marked this one. No? Yes, I did. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. You hear what I just said? His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Everything required for your life in the knowledge of him in his word, beloved. God's word is the only place that what you need is provided before God. So it alone provides. I'll say two more things. It alone produces. It alone produces. It alone provides and produces. Romans 10, 14. How can they call on them whom they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? That's a, that's a text for church planning and missions and whatnot. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good news. But they did not obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed our message. So listen, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and what is heard through the message of Christ. So how do you believe? Through hearing about Christ. Let me give you an example that may help. 
you know, you know how I try to convince my kids to come? When they were scared of the water, you know how I try to get them in the water? No. No. I would tell them, don't be scared. Don't be scared. You're, you're four years old. You shouldn't be scared. Come on, it's fine. And that usually doesn't work. What, what usually works, I had to talk about myself. I had to say, look, daddy is like halfway above the water. It's okay. Daddy knows how to swim. It's okay. You know, jump in and show them that you're capable. It's okay. As I talk about myself, it produces faith in the person I want to trust me. You see where I'm going? Beloved, everyone's always talking about, I need to trust God. And, and, and the Bible is a book that talks all about God and himself and his abilities and his strengths and his achievement and his powers. And as the whole Bible talks about God by who he is for you, his power for you, that what comes from that is faith. But what happens when we make the whole Bible about us? Oh, Joshua, you can be Joshua. Oh, Jesus walked on water, you can walk on water. Uh, you know, like uh, Moses walked up the mountain, you go up the mountain. When the Bible all becomes about us, then we seem to lack faith. But when the Bible becomes a book where we see God is always talking about his achievements and his power and his love and his grace, faith comes from that, beloved. So if, if faith is most important in your, in your, it's the most important thing in your Christian life, and faith comes from the word proclaimed about Christ, what do you have to do as a Christian? You need to put yourself in as many places where God's word is proclaimed as possible. That means if you're not in the place of proclamation where you're hearing the gospel proclaimed, what happens to your faith? Why? Because it's produced by the word preached and proclaimed, not by you believing that you can believe or mustering up enough, you know, confidence in yourself. So it alone produces. Last point, it alone creates. It alone creates. God's word is the only thing that creates. Second Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give a light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. So you see that text? Uh, it's, it's making a reference to creation where God spoke and there was nothing but black abyss and out of God speaking came everything. And what, God, what, what Paul is saying is that when God's gospel word, listen to me, beloved, when you hear the gospel word speak and pronounce to you, it creates life and faith where there is nothing by virtue of hearing the word. So a lot of times, you know how we think about God's word? We think of God's word like it's more like Ikea. You guys know about Y'all know about Ikea? It's like it's an instruction manual for you to then figure out how to put all the pieces together. And that's how kind of the word was pre is often preached and was preached in the Reformation. It's just an instruction manual for you to figure out everything. But let me give you another picture that may help you. The word of God is more like heat when it touches your skin and automatically sweats. It's more like ice when it touches water and automatically gets cold. It's more like sun when a white guy, white-skinned guy like me, uh, is in the sun and gets burned. Y'all you follow me? Beloved, God's word is more than something which instructs you. It is something which creates something when you hear it proclaimed. 
So you say, you know what, man, like, I, I feel, like, shameful, and I feel small. Like, how do I get over this? You need to hear, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as you hear the declaration that you are no longer condemned because Christ was condemned, your shame is automatically dealt with. You say, man, I feel like I need forgiveness. I am so sinful. I am so wretched. How does that come about? Well, it doesn't come about by you coming to the Word of God thinking like it's a manual for forgiveness. It comes about by you hearing that in him, in Christ, we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And as you hear that all of your sins, past, present, and future, ugly ones, embarrassing ones, little ones, big ones, were all placed on the physical body of Christ, and he was slaughtered under God's holy justice for all your sins. As you hear that in the word of God, you begin to experience the reality of forgiveness. As opposed to thinking that the scriptures are a manual forgiveness. Or some of you think, you know, I don't feel like a child of God. I mean, why do you typically say that? You don't feel like a child of God because you're giving all these you reasons for why you don't feel like a child. What's the solution to that? You need to hear, it says, for in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And when you hear that God adopted you because Christ became your law keeper and your sin bearer, you experience the reality of adoption. So, beloved, God's word not only instructs, but it creates that which it declares. So, how, how would I conclude this sermon? How would you conclude it? Scripture alone. You say, man, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. What do I do? Scripture alone, which talks about Christ alone, working for you alone, apart from you alone, on the cross alone is what you need to receive by faith. You say, you know, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I feel worldly. What do I do? Scripture alone where God speaks about himself alone, for you alone, in Christ alone, on the cross alone, obeying for you alone, to be believed apart from you alone. The word tells you that. Say, man, I feel like, man, I have all these these lost people around me, and I don't know how to talk to them. What do I do? Scripture alone. You tell them, when God allows you, gives you the door to, to speak about what Christ did for sinners on the cross by his word, beloved. You think, man, like, you know, I'm, 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 I, uh, me and my wife are having problems. What do I do? What is the answer? You need to stop looking at yourselves and look to Scripture alone, where Christ alone is exalted for sinners apart from their abilities to fix themselves. Say, Aldo, what are you going to do? What are you going to do next Sunday? When when, when we have a problem, how are you going to talk to us? Scripture alone. No one else has a right to speak. No one has, has a right to give you hope. No one else has a right to change you. No one has a right to inform you. Only Scripture alone gives us faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone, and glory alone. So we're going to do this again 
next Sunday about Scripture alone, you'd be like, how could you say any more about Scripture alone? You just talk for an hour. I can. (laughs) And I will. What? (laughs) All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for in the midst of all the voices that are competing for who you are and what you have done and who we are, you have given us one clear book, Genesis to Revelation, which reveals to us what you have said based on what you have done. And the final word that we hear in your word is that Christ is more than enough for wretched sinners who could never do anything to relate to you. That's what we hear. That's what we receive. That's what we proclaim. That's what we celebrate. Scripture alone. In your name we pray. Amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website reconcilechurchmiami.org.